Hour number dose of the Blitz starting right now here on this Wednesday. Charlie Collier, Sam Beard with you for another hour. 1340 AM, 105.7 FM. We're live in your Fan Run Radio app. That's free wherever you get your apps. We're also live in the Fan Run Radio web browser. And if you want to watch along, that Twitter feed is on the Fox Sports Knoxville Twitter. Let's say we get hour two started with an opening drive. How about it? How about it? First down. Some interesting news from the NFL. And uh, not talking about Jalen Carter this time. I'm talking about George Toma, the pod father. The sod father. Yeah, I don't know why I said the pod father. The sod father, uh, George Toma, ex-NFL groundskeeper, long-times groundskeeper who prepared uh, every Super Bowl field for a long stretch, and then it has since advised the preparation of every Super Bowl field. So he's been involved with every single Super Bowl field. Uh, he did not mince his words when he was talking about what went down that messed up this NFL field so much. And he had some harsh criticism for NFL field director Ed Mangan. So George Toma, the, again, as they call him, the sod father. Uh, incredibly successful career as one of the best groundskeepers on planet Earth. Got a lot of ridicule. People were putting him on the hot seat after the Super Bowl. The Podfather. Sodfather. Why do I keep calling him the Podfather? What even is Podfather? The Podfather is a podcast that you... Is it? Yeah, it's on Barstool. I don't think I've ever listened to it. Is that the one where they're just dads? Didn't that get canceled like two years yeah, ago? Yeah, it, actually, it actually might have gotten... Uh... Why would I ever be thinking about that? Either way, <laughs> the Sodfather... Um, He's fired back. The 94-year-old told ESPN he believes the field was overwatered in the two days leading up to the game. According to the sod father, the field was watered the Wednesday morning before the game and promptly rolled into the stadium on the movable tray that housed the grass field for the last time before kickoff four days later. Toma contended that the field should have been watered in the morning and then kept outside to dry before being rolled in. Uh, referring to Ed Mangan, the NFL field director who was in charge of the Super Bowl field and had worked under Toma for years before Toma retired into an advisory role, he said, so this is what he does. Talking about, again, Mangan. He waters the hell out of the field, and then he puts it right into the stadium, and that's it. Never see sunlight again. He can't do that. Podfather's fired up. He knows what he's talking about. Sodfather is. I I'm going to keep going with Podfather. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sodfather knows what he's talking about. He also said that a tarp was laid over the field uh, to protect it from the rehearsals for the pregame, halftime, and postgame shows. And Thomas said that that led to the field emitting an odor. So not only was the field slippery, it was stinky too. Uh, Thomas said that he was told during the week that the field was starting to decay and rot. And he said that it had a rotten smell. Toma also alleged that Mangan did not sand the field enough. Quote, he sanded it two weeks too late. He only had one sanding. He should have had two or three standings, but he didn't do bleep. And that was it. 
And not only that, he didn't take care of it. And not only that, he wouldn't listen to anybody. Tomo also said he's not blaming ryegrass for the field slickness, adding that he used ryegrass for 27 Super Bowls. Super Bowl, well, this past Super Bowl, was it, what, 57? That was his last. He retired after more than 80 years in the groundskeeping business. He said, I just can't take it anymore. He's not. He hasn't been pleased with how the NFL responded to past issues, and he was especially displeased with how they responded to the issues at this year's Super Bowl. Me and the league are finished. They can't tell me what to do anymore. We're done. What a what a dramatic exit from the sod father. Can't believe the NFL. This is the exit I needed. With a sour taste in his mouth. This guy is my hero. Because I think he's absolutely right. He's just throwing the NFL under the bus. I'm retiring. I'm 90 something. I, I don't care what you think of me. Today for not listening to the sod father. If there's a 94 year old man that spins groundkeeping for over 80 years and his nickname's the sod father, gee, I don't know. Maybe listen to him. Maybe, maybe that's a, gr- a great idea. Maybe listen to the expert, the the most well-renowned voice in groundskeeping for the last eight decades. Goodness gracious, NFL. They're all just a bunch of idiots over there. The NFL is run by the smartest group of idiots on the planet. Yeah. I think we should bring the Sodfather back for another Super Bowl. We can't send him out like this. If I'm the MLB, let him control every aspect. If I'm the of MLB. It. I'm mm. throwing out major money to the Sodfather for the World to Series. Stick it to the NFL. <laughs> I'm having him throw out the first pitch. The greenest of grass. Maybe he like cuts the grass and then throws out the first pitch. He comes out with one scissor. They leave one blade. Double extra long everyone else yeah all the other blades he cuts that off he gives it one little snip and then throws out that first pitch 94 down the pipe <laughs> 94 94 a mile an hour per each year he's lived i love it second down second down end of an era uh patrick kane has been traded from the blackhawks to the new york rangers Patrick Kane, drafted by the Blackhawks in 2007, went on to be probably one of their one of their best players in franchise history. Left the Blackhawks uh, third in most games played, third in goals, second in assists, and second in points. Helped them to three Stanley Cups. Guy's resume is just insane. 136 playoff games. He had 132 points, 52 goals, and 80 assists. The Rangers are dangerous now. The Rangers are dangerous. They traded for uh, Vladimir Tarasenko earlier in uh, earlier on in the trade deadline. Now they've got Patrick Kane on the way. They've got Panarin. They're they're kind of they're re they're reuniting a lot of uh, some old Blackhawks here with Panarin and Kane. The East is going to be a hell of a time for these NHL playoffs. You've got the the Bruins. There's like 20 games left in the season, and they haven't even hit double-digit losses yet. The Rangers are making a big push here. Uh, they've added some valuable pieces at the deadline. They've already got some great pieces uh, set. They've got a good young goalie. 
So this Rangers team, I would love to see a little Rangers Bruins uh, Eastern Conference final. That would be that would be a hell of a series. Yeah, Rangers Bruins would be a good time. I just don't know. It feels like the Bruins are so unbeatable that they're destined to get, to get beat. Yeah, I don't know, man. They just want to. They won a game last night with nine shots on goal. They have ninety nine points, which is oh, you know, just thirteen more than the second closest team. They're tracking for the all time record. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Western Conference, the best team in the Western Conference, has seventy five points. The Bruins have 99. Wow. Uh, give me... Give me a Sabres-Devils final. Sabres make a push in the last wild card spot. Yeah. Devils make a run. Hockey. Let's do it. Let's do uh, it, hockey. Third down. You guys seen what's going on with with, with, with Thomas Brady um, this man is hitting all kinds of levels of divorced I mean he is uh, he's really taking divorce to a new level there is a report yesterday this is on Yahoo Sports so I thought it was not real I thought that it was just kind of like a joke article or it was a hoax trying to trick us whatever else um, Tom Brady is reportedly considering a a career shift. Mm. Any idea what he's considering shifting to? Have you uh, seen this already? No, I haven't. Um, underwear model? Stand-up comic. <laughs> no. Tom Brady's not funny. At all. At all. Uh, this possible career change might seem like it's out of left field, but... A uh, source claims that Brady was inspired by a small cameo in the Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, and Rita Moreno film, 80 for Brady. No. This Ladies is not were real. super nice to him, and he did a really nice job reading professionally written material in a small part. But he'll be playing in a whole different league if he takes the stand up stage, the source shared. Um. Another Brady pal claims that he does a great impersonation of former teammate Rob Gronkowski and his over-the-top Boston accent is hilarious. This uh, this certainly can't be true. Certainly can't be true. Uh, another one of his friends said that Tom was a terrific quarterback, but he needs to toss this idea before it's too late. And uh, his inner circle apparently hates the idea and is really desperately trying to talk him out of it. He'll ruin all credibility that he's ever earned in his life becoming sounds, a stand-up He just comic. seems like, like a sad divorced man that really wants his wife back. <laughs> I just want to get into comedy. I mean, there are reports that, you know, he, he said that he delayed his Fox start so he could be in a space where he could be the best at it and prepare and get ready. But there are also reports out there that part of it is like him just trying to get his wife back. Yeah. Which is kind of sad to see it all play out so publicly. There's another report that... Um, while he may not actually pursue the stand-up comedy career, he is interested in potentially teaming up with Netflix for some sort of roast. I could be down for that. Yeah, he can get someone else to like kind of help him write some jokes. Mm-hmm. It's nice and simple. I, re- I love roast. Let's bring him back. I need Jeff Ross in my life more. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. All right, good opening drive. Got Roberto on the line. We'll catch a quick break. 
And we'll go straight to Roberto on the Big Orange Philly phone lines right on the other side. Roberto, stay with us. We'll be right to you. And stay with us out there on the Blitz. All right, back here on the Blitz. Still got Roberto on the line, Sam? We do, we do. Still got Roberto on the line, which means we're going to head right over to the Big Orange Philly phone lines where we got Roberto there waiting for us. Happy Wednesday. How are you doing today, Roberto? Doing well. Uh, no better way to kill your ratings than to tease a Roberto call right before you go into break, guys. <laughs> Stop doing that. I uh, see, Tom Brady, that was markedly funny, what I just did, uh, because it comes from a dark place. And Tom Brady, other than your recently divorced idiocies, you don't have many of those, so you're not funny. All right? <laughs> Comedy comes from deprecation. The man only lifts himself up. He's not going to that, – that's the most idiotic thing I think I've ever heard. Couldn't agree more, Roberto. I think Tom Brady doing comedy would sound like a robot trying to do comedy. Mm-hmm. Or like one of these AI machines. Well, Tom Brady sounds like a robot when he's trying to do anything. Maybe on the, on the, uh, the match, you know, the golf stuff. He can kind of get one off occasionally, and he's kind of funny, I guess. He's jovial around the living room, as they say. But he is not funny, and nobody will find him funny. People take him seriously. <laughs> Most people consider him the greatest football player that's ever lived, right? Or at least the greatest quarterback that's ever lived. People don't want to find that guy funny. And Peyton's already cornered the market on funny former great elite quarterback. You can't bust into that market and think that you're going to be that guy. I'm sorry. That actually pisses me off. Roberto, have you not not heard? His over-the-top Boston accent will knock your socks off. Come on. It'll knock my socks. It'll knock my socks right off. (laughs) Uh, You know, guys, uh, I'm going to have to make it brief. First of all and foremost today, uh, sorry about my rant there, Uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't uh, mention the passing of, of Sweet Raj, uh, I said it a couple times yesterday. He's the best we have to offer as Tennessee fans. Um, sweetest dude you'd ever want to meet. Always greeted you with a hug. Would go out of his way in the middle of a conversation if he saw you for the first time in a long time to stop his conversation and act like you were the most important person around. Sweet guy. Going to be missed big time. I'm not just kidding about that. Uh, it was for that reason I went to the basketball game last night. I had a free ticket. What would Raj do? Raj would go eat a crap load of hot dogs. And he go to the basketball game for free because that's what Raj did. God love him. So I did that too. And uh, this is to bring it to a basketball point. Uh, Charlie, I believe you said we want to be a rim and three team, right? Um, well, you got to be a rim and three team. And last night we actually saw ourselves become a rim and three team. Yeah, I thought – I mean, I, I thought you did a great job attacking Arkansas's – I mean, elite post defense last night. Um, you know that was Which what the strange when they kept kicking to the three line, right? They kept pushing out, trying to take us off, and just giving us the lane. It was strange. You won't see that again, I don't think. Not against this team. Not against this team without Zakai. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, the, the teams are going to try to make it difficult for you to score inside, and um, you know, I thought the shot selection from three was a lot better last night. Like, Tennessee took a lot less threes than they usually do, but I thought they, they just yeah. took the ones that were given to them instead of forcing it, which I think can kind of be a recipe going forward. But um, 
Is that the first time we've had a medial percentage from three, let's say under 30, 31 to 33 percent, where we actually won a game? Like of consequence? Um, of consequence, I'm like- not entirely sure, but I do know that Tennessee was like 37 and three or something like that when they shoot uh, 30 percent or better from three since the start of the 2021-22 season, and they were like 11 and 12 when they don't. So. So Last night, shooting 25% and winning, pretty rare. And that's why I was coming in hot with, you've got to be, if you're a rim and three team, we're playing a lot more of that, you've got to attack the rim, and we don't do that. And it, it's just, it boggles the mind that Jemai Meshack is the guy who's going to unlock that code for us. It boggles the mind. But he's the only guy on this team that truly attacks the rim and can convert at the rim because the guy, God bless him, is just too short. He can't go in the trees and convert. I think that Julian Phillips and Josiah Jordan-James both have the ability to be that guy that can slash to the rim and, and drive into the lane, score around the rim too. I think that sometimes they're almost... The point guard position. Sorry, Charlie, I, mean, I didn't cap you. I meant more running point because those guys don't run point that often. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, from a from a point guard perspective, which I mean, I I think those guys are now going to be forced into a role where they are bringing the ball up some and yep. are you know handling the the ball handling you know duties a little bit more. We'll see what it looks like with Tyreek Key back on Saturday. Um, yep. If you go with Key and Vescovi, or if you still roll with that same lineup, you know, a, a guard, a couple forwards, a couple bigs. I, I kind of like it. I kind of like. Yeah, I kind of liked having two. Essentially two threes and three four or was it three threes and two fours on the on the court. That was kinda of sexy actually, I'm not gonna lie. I was kinda of into that. It, it forced uh, teams into some switches that gave Tennessee some pretty favorable matchups and man, I love sure, Tobey Awaka and, and what he can do offensively too. Yeah. Well, um I think the key to the because it, it's so strange that I've flipped into about forty eight, seventy two hours. This team has kind of surprised me in the last three or four days. And I think they can make a little bit of a run here. But the key to this, I can't believe I'm saying this, I believe the key to this is actually Tyreek Key, ironically, with the name. Because if he shoots the ball from three really well, coming back off of his injury, illness, whatever it has been, and that opens up that middle for us so much more. And, and he's going to have to handle the ball. And he's going to have to shoot really well from the free throw line. And, but if he does... And he just has a blowout last five or six games of his career. This team could go pretty deep because defensively, when they went big last night, Arkansas had no chance to score. None. It was awesome to watch. Guys, I hope you have a great day. Uh, long live Raj. Absolutely. Um, appreciate your call, Roberto. Yeah, long, long live. Long live Raj. Long live Roger. Uh, you know, brought it up at the beginning of the show. You brought it up again there. Felt good that Tennessee got a win last night, you know, for you know, for him too. Uh just to be able to get that win and you know, glad you glad you went to the game, Roberto, and ate those hot dogs and cheered on the balls and took your free ticket. Um It's not the same to have, yeah, Roger calling in a different shows today talking about the balls, but Tyreek Key can be a pretty big part of this, this this future going down the stretch, or you know the future of this team here in the last uh, the last game of the regular season into the SEC tournament and into March. I mean, you're only guaranteed three more games. Yeah. 
Now, obviously, we, we all feel like Tennessee is going to play more than three games or else something terrible happened and I'm going to go into hiding for roughly four months. But um, only guaranteed three more games. Tyree Key needs to be a big part of that because spacing is going to be Spacing is going to be even more important now with uh, the lineups that I think you're going to be forced into. So if you can't execute in the role that you're put into, like if you can't knock down some outside jump shots, if you can't create even a little bit of your own looks from the outside for like if you're Tyreek Key, like that's going to throw off the rest of the offense. That's going to throw off the spacing. Like that's going to make it tougher to, to bully the ball inside, to get it inside. Uh I am like again. I think Arkansas right was a really good matchup for a lineup like that because they don't shoot the ball well from three. Like forcing them to take jump shots is a win. Like that's how you beat Arkansas is forcing them you know outside and Arkansas also runs you off the three point line and, and tries to funnel everything into their big shot blockers. So you know having the size to take them inside and take on those guards inside like. That was a good matchup, and, and we'll see in a different matchup against Arkansas what this team looks like. Um, but I think there is optimism. Like It feels weird on a day that, you know, last night your starting point guard potentially suffered a season-ending injury. You know, in a month where we're out of it now, but in February you lost like, four games feels weird that here on March 1st there is some room for optimism, but I think there is. Um, a couple other just thoughts on Tennessee basketball before we move off of it for the day. Just some things that ran through my head as we were watching the game. Tobey Awaka is such a, such a beast. Like That is going to be an all-SEC player as an upperclassman. And I, I don't uh, 100%. I don't think he gets enough credit necessarily for his offensive ability because I don't think we put him in situations to use it all that much. A lot of his offense comes off of um, the offensive glass. And I think there's still some immaturity sometimes in his decision-making on, like, when to bring the ball back down and when to put it on the floor. I think sometimes he, he takes that power dribble when he shouldn't mm-hmm. and allows, you know, guys Smaller to get their guys hands get on the ball, him. like some things like that. But – you know, it, it needs more polish, but I think there's a lot more raw offensive ability than than maybe we anticipated. Like, pure scoring ability. I think he's a crafty scorer. Um, I first started feeling this way too. in the Mississippi State blowout at home. He was playing some, some clean-up minutes, and he cut – from the right elbow towards the basket and got a feed, uh, caught it up high and took one step and like laid it in with the right, moving towards the basket, just smooth as butter. And you saw a little bit of athleticism. Like you saw the ability to score not just with your back to the basket. And I think every once in a while we see a flash of that from Tobey. And I think that can be unlocked into something even greater. Like I, I in terms of potential, there's a lot of guys on this team with potential, but but none with more potential than Toby Awaka, in my opinion. I can agree with that. Like, Jemai Meshack, right up there with him because you feel like if you can develop him into a consistent eight points a game guy, he's immediately one of the more impactful players in the conference. Uh, but but Tobey, I, I, I just 
oozes potential. Um, other thought here? Urosh, man. For as much as I think he can be frustrating sometimes, for as much as I think him playing becomes kind of matchup dependent, I don't think he gets enough credit for his ability to score on the low block with his back to the basket. Mm-hmm. He's gotten this a lot better. This year, he's gotten so much better at that. You know, there, there are still times every once in a while where he gets it in an awkward spot, and like it needs to be pretty perfect for him sometimes. Like It needs to be you receive it on the left block or the right block with your back to the basket. You know, if you give it to him in that dunk spot, like sometimes it gets a little weird. Sometimes he'll bunny arm one or you know short arm one and hit it off the front of the rim. And like, there's not a lot of touch. But when you get back to the basket, he's a, a really talented scorer from that spot. You know, he is a great post up scorer in my opinion. And I don't think anyone gives him enough credit for that. But it's not just one move either. It's not like it's just a simple drop step and put it up with the right. It's not like it's a simple, you know half spin to the middle of the paint and put up a soft hook like he has showed the ability to to give you three four five different moves and then counters off of those moves yeah his touch has become a lot better and i don't know why we don't give him any credit for this you know as a fan base media nationally because again you know sometimes he'll pick up that dumb technical foul or like sometimes he'll go up for a rebound and he'll get two hands on it and inexplicably lose it you know, sometimes maybe he'll get lost in a pick and roll on defense, but I think he's a lot smarter than people give him credit for. I think he does a great job sometimes on like clear outs. I think he's a better passer than people give him credit for, and just player in general. Like again, matchup dependent. I agree with that. And sometimes there are games that it's just like, hey, this isn't really a new Roche game. But when he has games that that suit him and his ability, I mean, several crafty moves last night. Several moves where you really went, wow, that's. That's impressive. Like that's that's nice to Roche. And I mean, geez, he scored what it was either seventeen or nineteen. I can't remember against Kentucky. What do you know if it was seventeen or nineteen? Either way, leading scorer against Kentucky. And again, it was all back to the basket, like post up opportunities. So again, if Tennessee is going to embrace this big lineup, I feel good about Urosh being able to to be that guy that can give you twelve strong minutes of of post up basketball and 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 physical paint defense that can be a little bit of a you know of a of a physicality setter a tone setter he had a great but, play on the second half like got fed uh kind of like on the right block and spun move a little spin move around the baseline yeah. under underhand over to the left side like that was a that's a that's difficult shot for a athletic move that yeah. is a tough move and mm-hmm. he executed it and I, I think that speaks to like his worth ethic his drive to get better but also his basketball IQ you know I, I think we mistake his irrational behavior sometimes as as a lack of basketball IQ because it's like man how could you commit a foul like that in that situation how could you commit a technical foul like that in this situation it's his emotions I, I think getting that's the best more of him, not emotional, his basketball yeah, IQ, immaturity yeah. but in terms of his basketball IQ again watch him on a drive to the lane when he doesn't have the ball watch how he seals off that drive without committing a foul watch him move without the basketball he's smarter about it than I think a lot of bigs like watch him rotate defensively. Watch him set screens. Watch him pass. Again, you know, every game doesn't necessarily call for an Urosh Plasvich, but when it does, I don't think he's getting enough credit for what he does. So that's that was another thought I kind of had last night. Uh, and then 
final thought from last night, I don't think this team got enough credit for all the adversity they had to fight through in the month of February. You know, I get it. They lost four games and things went to, to bleep. You know, the bleep hit the fan. The offense collapsed. But a lot of teams, when they went over a month without having a rotation healthy, without two starters healthy, you know, a lot of teams, when they have to, to deal with the heartbreak of back-to-back buzzer-beating threes, you know, a lot of teams would crumble with what with what Tennessee's faced, and Tennessee hasn't. You know, I, I don't think we give enough credence to – the value that Josiah Jordan James and Julian Phillips provided this team. You know, not only are they scorers, not only are they excellent defenders, but just their versatility, both offensively and defensively, to put them into different roles. Uh, the way that they mesh with smaller guards and Zakai and Tyreek and help them out, their impact on the game cannot be understated. So to have them back is a wonderful thing for Tennessee but it gives me gives me some confidence moving forward too. I, I don't think that people really quite took into full consideration, you know, all that Tennessee was dealing with between you know between Zakai just kind of being banged up, Santi being kind of banged up. Um, now Zakai's out, but like Santi, you know, and Zakai were both banged up. Um, Tyreek being banged up, Julian and, and Josiah missing time. I mean. That is, that is a situation that no matter how good of a basketball team you are, most teams would have a difficult time with. And a lot of teams would let that carry over and carry on and, and, and continue to affect them. But credit to Tennessee. And I guess, you know, partially you could, you could take some credit away from them too for letting those injuries affect them as much. But now credit to them for, for sticking strong, staying strong through that and, and getting back to looking like a better basketball team. Again, we're not going to over – react too much to a win against Arkansas, but I feel like we said this Monday, you know, the the, uh, the South Carolina win on Saturday was somebody just picking the train up and putting it back on the tracks, and it was Tennessee's job to actually get it moving again, you know, beating South Carolina. That's not some world-beating win or anything. It just kind of s- briefly stabilized you. But last night against Arkansas, I think you started shoveling coal back into the fire started pushing that train forward again got it back on the tracks and got it back headed in the right direction we'll see how far you can go we'll see how much that derailment affected you but I come out of last night despite your starting point card suffering a pretty serious injury feeling like all is not lost feeling like there's a renewed sense of energy a sense of hope in that locker room catch a break here more on the blitz next I was starting to get worried about you. I'll never forget. I've been thinking about it all day, but I was going to give you until this segment before I reminded you. I wasn't going to forget. I was worried. 11.40? I was going to do it to start the hour, but then I was like, ah, we got the opening drive. Well, uh, will you do me a favor? You want it back? Just to start real quick, just to remind everybody what today is. <laughs> if like I wish that you could make songs your alarm without it ruining the song completely. 
Like, I would wake up to this song every single morning, but after two weeks, I would hate it. Do you come from a land down under? <laughs> Minute work Wednesday, baby. Best day of the week. Can't you hear that thunder? You better run. You better take cover. <laughs> you ever had Vegemite, by the way? Uh, no, I haven't, but I've heard it's terrible. I've heard it is foul. Yeah, it's very salty. Uh, Hayden Wallen, back when he used to, to be an intern over on uh, Talk Sports. Did they buy it? He ate Vegemite for a punishment. We should have done that. He told me it was the worst. Like, he threw up immediately. He probably put way too much on there. I think he threw up immediately, but I think he also said that like his stomach was upset for... The rest of the day. Did maybe you see longer. him put it on there? Or? I, I didn't. I don't like it's not I a. Really it's remember. not like a peanut butter thing. Apparently, it's like a very thin layer of it that it goes a long way because it's just like straight salt. I think. Let's see. I, he's teaching right now. I forgot he's just like a teacher now. Which, by the way, really weird when your friends just become teachers. You know, I, it's it's. I'm two years out of college now. It's something that I've been dealing with for about three years. Just to see your friends that you're like, oh, man, like, I once did 14 shots with you on a Wednesday night, and now you're molding the minds of America. Like, this is a funny one. Uh, but let's see. Let's see if I can get a quick Vegemite review from him. He listens sometimes. I think his lunch break might be coming up. He usually says he listens to like the last segment or so and then the start of talk sports for like 20 minutes when he's eating his lunch. We'll see. Vegemite, though, it sounds brutal. Made from leftover brewer's yeast extract. Man, that sounds terrible. That's not what I want in my mouth. People love it, though, in Australia. Dude, they, like, like, they love it. eat it up. It's crazy to me that, like, People just casually ate Vegemite. They're still do. I mean, like to the point where peanut butter and jelly for us are just like, yeah, Vegemite and toast. Time to go. Hope that I don't get bit by a poisonous snake on my way to work today. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's just people in Australia are just different. You know, like let me eat this really salty piece of toast and go go out on the bobby. Okay, so apparently it wasn't Hayden that ate the the Vegemite. It was apparently like either Cam black or uh or draven fine that did no size cam i kind of feel like actually i don't know they've got a squeeze bottle of vegemite <laughs> that's just so gross dude i wonder what it smells like because it's like it's like a black like purplish kind of like paste right mm-hmm. oh yeah hayden said i didn't need vegemite i just drank my own pee because <laughs> that happened that honestly sounds worse I would rather. I think. I'd rather eat Vegemite. I think. Would you rather? Would you rather drink your own pee right now, or, or do the the hot chip, and the end hot with like a dab of end hot? Yeah, sauce I'd drink my own pee yeah, for I sure. Think I would too. I mean, both of those. Is, I think I would too. Yeah. All right, we'll see if I can get any update on a, uh, on Vegemite. But yeah, happy Minute Work Wednesday to all that celebrate. And if you don't celebrate, well, we welcome you. We encourage you to join us in celebrating Minute Work Wednesday. It's a little down under. Um, couple more conference tournaments start today. Mm. 
Let's go. I know you're excited. I'm ecstatic. Give me a breakdown. Well, first we have the Northeastern Conference. Mm. Mm. Lovely. This conference is bad. Yeah? Yeah. At least they had Bryant last year. They don't even have that this year. Uh, it's not good. Long Island, though. Three and twenty-five. Biggest mistake they ever made was switching from LIU Brooklyn, and they were black and white to just LIU, and they became. I think they're the Sharks. Yeah, they, they just look, went straight to. They, they just are. switched from Long Island Brooklyn, and they were black and white uh, to just Long Island Sharks, and they switched to uh, like light blue and yellow. That but. sucks. That's, I don't like that those colors at all. Anyway, uh, Northeastern Conference Tournament, It's like I said, it's not a good one. Um, whoever wins this conference will presumably be in the 16-seed play-in game. Uh, your favorite is Merrimack. It's also kind of dumb because Merrimack and, I believe, Maybe one other school. I know Merrimack is still ineligible for the postseason because they are our newer D1 schools. Okay, okay. Um, Merrimack, I think they're in their last year. Um, Why Harley are they even... Dickinson probably the te- the the favorite to actually like get through? Okay, from the the Northeastern Conference to March Madness, I think Merrimack probably wins it. Uh, they're seventeen and a half point favorites tonight. Why do they even allow? Like, if they also, have a ban, St. Francis. If they have a post, if they can't go into the postseason, why are they even allowed to play in the conference tournament? It just seems kind of disrespectful to those kids, almost. Like, oh, I don't know. Here, I mean, you could like, win hey, this. You could win this conference tournament, but you're not going to March Madness. I think at the same time, it's kind of a consolation. Like, hey, you, you know, well, at least what you this is your March Madness tournament. Like, this is yeah. your March Madness. I mean, it was a huge deal for Bellarmine last year. Yeah. Um, I know I'm a big proponent of college basketball. But unless you're truly the sickest of sickos, you don't really have to watch this one. Okay, cool. You can tune in for the championship game because those are fun. Yeah. It was a lot of fun last year again when it was like Bryant and, and mm-hmm. Peter Kiss and Charles Pride in a sold-out arena. But um, Bryant and Wagner were not getting those same kind of fireworks this year. Uh, you also got the Big South starting today. This one to me is always a pretty fun one. Uh, it starts off with a couple playing games today. Somehow Ricky Clemens is still just at Campbell doing his thing. UNC Asheville won the conference. They are not the favorite. Despite really? the fact that they won the conference, beat the second-best team in the conference, and have the best player in the conference in Drew Pember, somehow not the favorite. Um, UNC Asheville won a lot of close games. Longwood was a 14 seed last year. Tennessee played him the first round. Uh, they're actually the favorite to win this conference, even though they finished second. Radford and Gardner-Webb are both good teams, too. I would say that probably one of those four teams is the champion. And UNC Asheville is definitely the team that can be a threat if they make the tournament just because of Drew Pember. I'll alone. say this. I'm rooting for UNC Asheville to make the tournament as a 16 seed and see Drew Pember versus Zach Eady. That would be hilarious. Yeah. I think if UNC Asheville got in there more like a 15 maybe. Okay. Maybe even a 14. But um, 
the best team has won this conference. The one seed has just three times in the last ten years. I think you're. I mean, you're looking at a, a situation where even like, you know, USC Upstate or like Winthrop or Campbell can make a run in this thing. But my pick to win it, I'm going with UNC Asheville. I'm taking the favorite. I'm going with Drew Pember. My pick in the Northeastern, by the way, was uh, give me Wagner. Okay. And then your last conference tournament today, the OVC kicks off. Today, today not the best day. The OVC will be the first ticket punched. They're the, pardon me, they're the first uh, first championship game Saturday night, 8 o'clock on ESPN2. Uh, Moorhead State, hefty favorite here with good reason. I mean, the second-place team, Tennessee Tech, was also under 500 on the season. Moorhead State. Probably going to win this thing. Tennessee State, an outside chance. UT Martin, Tennessee Tech, too. Um, Belmont and Murray State have won this conference every year for a while now. Um, they do – I mean, this tournament has chaos potential, especially if, if someone beats Moorhead State, then one through eight – or two through eight could win this conference, and I don't think anyone would be surprised. Um Southern Indiana intrigues me. Best offense in the league. Uh, great three-point percentage. Could see them making a run. They're not eligible, though. They're a new D1 team. I'll take – give me Southern Indiana to win it, though. Okay. Give me Southern Indiana to make a run. Evansville's finest. Really strikes some fear into the Purple Aces, but I think Moorhead State still ends up getting the bid. Those are your conference tournaments today, though. Eight games. I've made my eight bets. Again, betting every single conference tournament game this year. Last year, 167 and 132. This year, I'm off to a 9-4 and four start, plus 3.5 units, and there are eight games today. And I've posted all those picks online. Go check my Twitter for more information to figure out what those picks are for the day. Uh, but speaking of picks, let's catch a break. Best bet on the other side. Best bet. Get our best bet for the evening, Mr. Beard. What you got for us? Yeah, I'm gonna go over to college hoops. Um, I'm gonna take a good story in college hoops this year. I'm gonna go over to 25th ranked Pittsburgh at Notre Dame tonight. I'm gonna take Pittsburgh minus three and a half. Uh, Pitt six and one in their last seven. Twenty-one and eight overall. If I told you fourteen and four in the ACC, would you change your mind? Nope, he's not retiring. He's leaving Notre Dame, and still potentially retiring. Don't care. I'll take the better Duke assistant in Jeff Capel. It's a ballsy move. It's a hot team. Notre Dame's not good either. Notre Dame's not good. No, but it's. They've been playing scrappy lately. So is Pitt. 
Well, I'm not going to bet against a, a, a good home team. I'm going to actually bet on a good home team. You want to know why? You want to know why, Sam? Yeah. Ask me why. Why? Because nobody goes in to the dunk and mm. leaves with a That was my victory. second pick. Dunkin' Donuts Arena. You kidding me? Providence, Rhode Island. Some say the biggest home court advantage in basketball. It actually is insane how good of a home court advantage it is. They are 15-0 and 0 at home this year. The only team in the Big East to have a perfect record at home. One of the only teams in all of Major Six Basketball to have a perfect record at home. Nobody in the Big Ten has a perfect record at home. Nobody else in the Big East has a perfect record at home. In the Big 12, not even Kansas has a perfect record at home. In the SEC, just Alabama has a perfect record at home. And a year that's been full of parity, uh, that has been tougher than ever to win when you're a top team. Only UCLA, Alabama, and Providence have undefeated home records. I think that continues tonight. I love the Friars. Uh, only laying two and a half against Xavier. Xavier team, they're trying to get some guys back from injury. They've been back and forth. They just picked up a big win against Seton Hall. Before that, they lost at home to Nova. Before that, they beat the Paul. Before that, they lost two straight. Providence, that's my best bet tonight. Also, just got a text from uh, from Draven Fine. It was him that ate the Vegemite. He said, absolutely brutal. <laughs> Worst thing he's ever tasted. <laughs> I might buy some. What if I just become a huge Vegemite guy? I would start my breakfast. Think less of you, probably. Would you? Maybe. What if I got you on it? What if we all just became? You want to become Vegemite Bros? Should we? Should like we really start like make it a personality trait? Like yeah. how much we love Vegemite. Let's let's turn Vegemite into an American tradition, not an Australian tradition. Maybe it's good. I mean, a whole country of people likes it. Like, surely it can't be that. Surely it can't be that bad, right? And again, I've heard terrible things from anyone not. You think maybe it's a prank? No. You think Australia's come together and they're not actually eating Vegemite? They just have something that looks like Vegemite and they're like, yeah, let's tell everyone. It's just like like Nutella in a Vegemite bottle. That's probably what it is. They just tell everyone they like this stuff and then pass it out to us. Probably. Tell you it's really good. Trick these silly Americans into drinking extra beer yeast. Those losers. Good show today. Good show today. Wrapping things up. We'll see you Enjoy the rest of your minute work Wednesday for Sam Beard. I'm Charlie Collier. Hope you all have a great one. No talks for us today. Lee John is sick. Uh, so, a little satellite radio, but local programming will join you back at 3 p.m. I'm sure the drive will have an absolutely loaded show. Maybe we'll find out a little bit more about Sakai throughout the day, too. So stay locked into Fan Run Radio today. We'll see you tomorrow. Y'all have a good one. That lonesome feeling.